If you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know we've been walking through uh, a series entitled Rooted. And we're walking through the book of Ephesians line by line. Was, that, was it good for you guys? Did you guys enjoy Ephesians? God did a good work through that, right? This, this whole idea of being rooted in the sovereign work of God, this sovereign plan that God worked on behalf of us his, through His goodness, through Jesus Christ, that if we believe, we're rooted not in ourselves, but we're rooted in Jesus. Then that latter half of the book, we talked about what it practically looks like to walk out those roots. What does it mean to be rooted in Christ, and what does it look like to walk it out? So if you missed any part of that series, I invite you to go online or download the podcast and just listen to it. Listen to it and allow the Lord to work in your heart and what He did, because I, I don't know about y'all, but He worked in my heart. But this summer, today marks our summer preaching series, if you want to say, which means that we're not about to walk through a book of the Bible like we usually do, but what you'll hear this summer is different sermons by different preachers, different people other than myself. You'll hear different folks that are either here at Renewal or have been here at one point in time as long as, as well as myself. And one of the reasons I do this is because I do this each summer, you're going to hear different voices because I want you to have a diverse palette when it comes to preachers. Yeah, yeah, you hear what I'm, diverse palate, you know what your palate is, you know, you, you eat certain foods. See, when I moved to Chicago, I had never tasted Thai food before. But on the ride up here, I was with one of our management team members, and he'd just come back from Japan, and he loves Thai food, and all these different foods are all over the place, and he's like, you got to try this out. So when I began eating Thai food, I started with Pad Thai. Everybody starts with pad thai, right? That's, that's the beginner's choice. It's basically just some rice and chicken, you know? You, you, you don't go wrong with that, right? But now, because my palate is diversified, I eat all types of curry. Red curry, all, well, y'all, y'all don't want to see me with some Thai food. It's good. It might not be good for me later, but it's good when I'm eating it. See, diverse palate, I want you to have a diverse palate when it comes to preachers, which means that you may walk in here and every preacher may not be your cup of tea, but they will be preaching the gospel. They will be preaching biblical sermons as we walk through the Word of God. Again, here at our church, as you look around, we're intentionally a gospel-centered church, but we're also also multi-ethnic, which means that when you walk in here, sometimes it's going to be a little uncomfortable. But the reality is there's got to be a little discomfort for the good of the gospel. So what that means is you're going to see different preachers up here. They're going to be preaching the Word of God. It also means that you may walk in on Sunday morning and we may be singing songs that you never heard before or you don't like the way they've been saying because it's not about that. Here's here's the truth. As long as it's Jesus, as long as it's Jesus, we should be okay, right? That doesn't mean we're going to lower the standard, but as long as it's Jesus… We're going to praise them anyway. So I'm excited for uh, the preachers that will be here this summer um, and the words that they'll uh, speak here at Renewal. Also, the summertime, uh, practically speaking, is just a time also uh, that you all, as well as the board, allows me to just kind of get away with my family, take a vacation, and part of that is uh, study leave too. So I want you all to be praying for our church, pray for myself and my wife, that God would just give us vision for this next year as we're coming in, come August, of what, what, what could he do here at Renewal? I think he has big things that he wants to see happen here at Renewal, and I need your prayers. I invite him, I welcome, and I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us come in this year. Amen? Amen. Well, today we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
So if you got your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to walk from verse 7 to chapter 12, verse 8. Go ahead and open your Bible to that. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen, or if you got a phone, go ahead and open that up too. Once you have it, you can go ahead and stand on your feet with me as we read and honor the Word of God together, if you're able. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. All right. The text reads, starting in verse 7, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young men, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Everybody say vanity. 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 Chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the word of God, amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, vanity. Say it again with me, vanity. Vanity. Let's pray. Father, I just pray simply right now that you'd have your way as we walk through your word. This is your word. This is not our word, God. So, Lord, I pray that you would be lifted up, that you would remove me, decrease me so that you may increase. Father, have your way and let your folks hear a word from you. In Christ's name we pray and we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, this, there's this clip some years back of Tom Brady. Everybody know who Tom Brady is? Tom Brady, arguably the best quarterback of all time, Mr. Clutch, right? He show, if you like, uh, what's the other guy's name, Peyton Manning, you don't know real good quarterbacks because this man's clutch, right? Arguably one of the best. Well, at this clip is shown of Tom Brady where he had just won his third Super Bowl ring. 
just won his third Super Bowl ring, signed a new contract, and he's sitting there with the interviewer, and he's like, but there's got to be more than this. He won his third Super Bowl ring, not one, not two, but his third Super Bowl ring. He just signed a $60 million contract. He just married Giselle, this supermodel, and he's sitting there saying, he's got everything a man could dream of, and he's like, there's got to be more to life than this. Tom Brady. You know why a man like Tom Brady who has everything he's dreamed of, more than he could ever dream of, could say something like this. Because there's a God-shaped void that exists in all of us that we spend all of our lives trying to fill, and the one person that will truly satisfy that void is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the reason there's no amount of money that will satisfy us. It's the reason that, 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 that he's the only one that makes this true. There's no, there's no perfect job. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect kids. The only one that makes us truly satisfied is Jesus. And you may be sitting there saying, well, I, I know we're in church, and I, I should hear that, but I don't know if I really agree with that. I don't know if I really agree with that. And you know why you could actually say that? You know why we can believe that? It's because you haven't reached the point of knowing that you can gain everything you want in this world, but at the same time still leave your soul starving. Your soul still wanting more. Hear me, family, our flesh, what we, have, what we want, it, it seeks temporary satisfaction, but our soul longs for something much more. It longs for our Creator, which means that without God, we are left on this lifelong journey searching for satisfaction unless we're able to stop and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. But maybe you're still saying, I don't know. I don't know if I really get that or believe that. Well, as we walk through this text, I'm going to introduce you to a man named Solomon where he had everything one could ever desire, and at the end of his life, he doesn't say, I wish I had more, or I wish I did more. No, he says, everything I have is vanity. It's vanity. It's nothing compared to knowing the Lord. Nothing. And I have to ask you this. As we walk through this sermon today, could you honestly say that everything you have in your life, your spouse, your kids, your money, your job, your house, all of that, etc., all down the line, is vanity compared to knowing Christ. Could you honestly say that? That's the, that's the question I want you to ponder as we walk through this text, as we walk through this text and see this man who had everything and says it's all vain, it's all vanity compared to knowing the Lord. So ponder that as we walk through this. Now, as we get in this text, just a little bit of context, and you got to know a little bit about the writer of Ecclesiastes and the theme of the book. See, the book was written by King Solomon. He is arguably the wisest man who ever walked this earth next to Jesus. He's also the richest man who ever walked this earth. He was a multi-trillionaire. I didn't say billionaire or I didn't say millionaire, I said trillionaire. This is Solomon. He has more money than anybody could ever dream of having. He had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. I did not stutter. 700, a thousand women 
Wilt Chamberlain ain't got nothing on Solomon. But all those women led to his demise. Solomon was the writer of much of the wisdom literature in the Bible, including Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. And this is important to know all that King Solomon had because, again, as he's writing in this book, and we see in our passage today, even though he had everything most people could ever dream of, at the end of the day, he counted it all as vanity. Which brings us to the theme of this book, which is the necessity of fearing God in a falling, confusing, and frustrating world. He says in chapter 112, he speaks to this. Look at verse 12 in chapter 1. Look at it with me. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out my, the wisdom, by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Now, with this being said, I really believe that, that, that this theme is kind of problematic with most of us because when we hear uh, Solomon's writing, we hear about Ecclesiastes, we, we naturally think all is vanity. We start thinking down and out and, and sadness, and, and, and we get sad about just this whole idea that, it, that this world is nothing. It, it's vanity. But the truth is that it's not all vanity as if it's no hope. That's not what he's saying. But it's instead all vanity, which means don't just live for this life. There's a big difference there. This is very important to note because we live in a society that values carpe diem. Values YOLO, you only live once. It values where we, we work hard, we make the most of each second, every hour, every day, every month. We got to make the most of everything we do. And we do that at the expense of everybody in our lives or everything around us, whether it be our job, our family, our friends, our neighbors. We hop over people to get to what we want because it's all about us. It's live your life and make the most of each day. It's not about anybody else but our satisfaction. And I love this passage because as we look closely at it and we keep it in the context of who is actually writing it, it being Solomon, with all that he had, he basically says, yeah, go ahead, live it up, make the most of your life, of every day. But remember, verse 12, he says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Now, if we pay attention to the text, again, this is not like the book of Ephesians. I, I got to bring you into this because it's, it's not like Pauline epistle where you can read it and the verse uh, that you read speaks to the preceding verse or they speak to one another. When you read wisdom literature, this is something for you to know, whether it be Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, sometimes the verses don't speak to one another. They're, they're not necessarily with one. They don't coincide. They don't go together. They could be totally independent or sometimes they can actually with one another. So you got to read the context and know what's going on. But in this context, this passage, they do connect. There's one thing that Solomon is trying to get at, which is enjoy the days of your life, but remember the Lord and all that is gained here on this earth is vanity. It's vanity. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? Simply put, be wise. Don't make this life the end all, be all. In other words, live your life, but be careful not to forget who is important. 
Basically, don't forget who made you, so honor him in all you do. See, what's happening in this passage is that Solomon is at the end of his life. He's believed to be an old man, and now he's reflecting back on his life with all that he had. He's saying, everything I've had, everything I've done is vanity. If not lived, here it is, if not lived in the proper moral boundaries of how God calls people to live, it's all vanity. This is seen right off the back. You see this in verses 7 through 8 of the text because Solomon uses words like light and dark. Look at it with me. He says light and dark. Now, now the words light and dark are metaphors or words to describe life and death. He says these words. He says light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many and all that comes is vanity. See, again, what he's saying is that there's many pleasures in this world. There's many pleasures of this life. There's there's many things that we can enjoy. It's many things that this life offers that are sweet, but don't make them the end-all, be-all. It's not everything. There's many things that we ought to to take pleasure in that we should have fun with. And and here's the point that I got to talk about is that God didn't put you just on this earth to suffer. Okay? He, he didn't put you on this earth so you can suffer on, in everything you do. Some of us believe that. No, he put you here also to enjoy your life. John 10.10 10 says this. It says, the, key, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I want you to have life. He's not just talking about a, eternally in heaven. He's talking about here too. I want you to experience life now and not yet. I want you to experience it to the full. See, and I got to say this because sometimes I think believers or people, period, we can tend to walk around with this sort of morbid, pessimistic, we live in this reality that, that where we're always down and out. There's no fun in life. There, there, there's, there's no freedom. We, we don't feel any sense of freedom in life. See, here's the question. See, I bet if I asked you all that call yourself Christian in here, how would you describe the Christian life? Most of you all would not say freedom or fun. There's not two words that, would, that you would use. We think of our life as the old ball and chain. We're dragging it along. We're restricted by everything we do. There's no freedom and fun in that. It's morbid. It's pessimistic. We wake up and we do the same thing every day. We're like the robot with one program. Just wake up, do the same thing over and over and over again. Let me ask you, how do you enjoy yourself? What spurs your affections for Jesus? How do do you enjoy life? What's fun? What's freedom? Or maybe that's you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe maybe you're not the the person that's the robot that wakes up and does the same thing every day. But maybe you're the Christian or the person that feels like everything's on you and you feel like you you have to, you have this burden to make things happen. You got to be the perfect Christian and bring all these people to to Christ. Or you got to be the perfect worker and climb the ladder at your job and be successful in everything you do. You got to be significant. You you, got to do all these things. And the truth is, that's what drives you, which doesn't allow you at the end of the day to just stop and smell the roses around you. I mean, but, but here's the thing. What happens when you don't succeed? What, what happens when you don't get that promotion or that job or that woman or man that you were working so hard to be with? What happens when you fail? How do you feel now? Or, or, or maybe that's not you. Maybe you're the person that's so trapped 
in your mind or your past. You're plagued by what's happened to you, and you're driven by control or fear, having everything under control, control because, because you just want to keep everything the same. It's good right now, so you want to keep it the same. Not too much of this, not too little. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 your mentality is as long as the lights are on and there's a little money in the bank, I'm good to go. I'm good. Let me ask you, though, what happens when you forget to pay that light bill? What happens when your funds get a little too low? What, how do you feel then? Friends, hear me. In none of those realities is there freedom, fun, or are they Christian? No. See, friends, I don't want you to miss this. The freeing part about the Christian walk is that you don't have to be in control of your every move, your every step, what might happen next, because God is sovereign, and he says in his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So the Christian in here, you can rest assured in the freedom you have in Christ, knowing that he holds all things together. There's freedom in that. And on the other hand, the Christian walks, it's fun. It's fun. Because you can literally live like a, a child without worry because your heavenly father is holding all things together. He has the whole world in his hands. There's, that, that's, that's fun. It's like the song says, he's got the whole world in his, y'all know it, got the whole world in his hands. He's got mama and daddy in his hands. He's got the whole world. Don't act like y'all ain't never heard that song. He's got the whole world in his hands. If y'all don't know that, go to Sunday school at some black church in the city. Y'all need to hear that. For real. He's got the whole world in his hands. But hear me, that doesn't mean you won't have problems. You will have issues. You will have things that happen to you in this life. But you can rest assured living in freedom, having fun in life, knowing that your Father, your Heavenly Father has got you. He's got you in his hands, which lends to where we're going in this passage. Because don't get it twisted. Hear me when I say this. Don't get it twisted. Just because you get freedom and fun in Christ, that doesn't mean you just go around and do what you want in life. Okay? That doesn't mean we just get to do what we want. Family Solomon is saying, yes, have fun in this life. Enjoy it. And don't be plagued by what might happen tomorrow and, and having all these things under your control. Have fun. Live it up. But hear me. That's what he's saying. Do it with eternity and death in mind because eternity far outweighs this life and what it has to offer. Don't forget that. In other words, don't live as if you haven't been created to glorify your creator God. You're created. There's someone who created you. Live to glorify him. Or, 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 or Jesus says it a different way. Look at John 10, 10 with me. Look at it. He says, I, I came to give you life. Remember that verse I just read. He says, I came to give life. Remember the context Jesus is speaking in when he says it. This is Jesus speaking. So hear me. When he says, I came to bring them life, that's not a life that he's talking about outside of him. That life he's talking about is only coming through belief in him and walking with him. So that life abundantly only is found in Jesus. No else. Stick with me. I, I promise I'm coming to your neighborhood. If I'm not in your backyard already, I'm coming there. He, he moves on to verse 9. And he says, he reminds the reader to enjoy this life, but remember the Lord will bring all things into judgment. Now hear me. 
I don't believe Solomon says this to necessarily scare the reader. That's not what he's trying to do here because that doesn't cause one to live in freedom. It doesn't. When it's all about judgment and, and, and punishment, that doesn't cause someone to live in freedom. That causes someone to perform so, so they can elude or, or get away from the judgment. It causes someone to perform, and performance is not Christian. God didn't call you to himself so you could start performing for him. He called you and saved you so that you can work from approval and work hard at what you do, knowing that whether you succeed or fail, you're already in Jesus, so that means you're good. There's no pretending or performing in Christ. That's not Christian. Better yet, let me, let me keep going with this because I don't know if you got this, and, and we have to speak to this because it's a lot of times what we do. We perform or we pretend to be something we're not. It, 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 it's, it's sort of like... Because he doesn't call you to this. It's sort of like disciplining your six-year-old without giving them understanding why. Because if you discipline them without giving them understanding, then what's going to happen is that they will start performing so they cannot get in trouble. But if you give them understanding that mommy and daddy loves you, meaning that we don't want you to do this, so therefore there's discipline for, for what you've done, the next time they get in that situation and they're about to do something, they know, oh, mommy and daddy loves me, and last time I got disciplined, which means that they wouldn't do that if they didn't love me, so I'm not going to do this. You see, that's a different understanding. It causes now the child to live not out of performance, but out of fear and reverence for their parents because they know how good they are to them. There's a big difference there. Big difference. So in essence, what Solomon is saying is live life to the full, but proper enjoyment is only truly found within the boundaries established by God. And how do we know the boundaries established by God? By reading and soaking up the Word of God on a daily basis. Y'all see these pages? There's no gray in here. It's all black and white, which means that it's pretty straightforward. You read this, you soak it up, you get to know God, you get to know the boundaries that he calls and puts around our lives and tells us how to live. There's no restriction. This is freedom in this when we live the way God has called us to live. It's right here. Again, this is not legalistic. It's not what I'm saying, but it's freeing for the Christian. It's freeing for the believer because God isn't staring down at you and judging your every move because of Jesus' death. When God looks at you, he's not saying, man, I'm so, I'm so disturbed and mad at you because of your mess-ups and your mishaps. No, no. He's staring down at you, and he sees the blood of Jesus draped over the believer in here, and he's saying, well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. You see, and that's the motivation. Not enough of y'all clap, so I think you're missing it. See, see here's the thing. That, that, that's the motivation that the Christian lives from in life. That's the motivation that lends to us not living for ourselves, but trying to glorify God in everything we do. Amen. Solomon keeps going, and he goes as far as to say in verse 10, I love this. He says, all those pains, all those pains you have and those ailments and any vexation or frustration you may be experiencing in this life. He says, put away from your body. Now, he's not saying you won't have issues 
He's not saying you won't have pains, you won't have problems with your body. That, that, that's not what he's saying. But instead, what he's saying is don't dwell on them too much. Don't let them rule your life. Don't let your problems rule your life. Y'all, y'all not hearing me. We, we, we all know people that complain a whole lot. Every week you see them, they got a new sickness. Last week, it was, it was the back. This week, it's my neck. Halfway through the next week, it's my neck and my back. Next week, you see him on the rerun of the commercial talking about, help, I can't get up, I can't get up. You, you, you see them. People are always complaining about their problems. And Solomon is not saying, don't have, you're not going to have problems. It's like, yeah, take care of your problems, go see a doctor, but don't let your problems rule your life. But instead, remember the Lord because it's all vanity compared to what the believer will have in heaven with God forever. It's all vanity, even your problems. Solomon further leans into this acknowledgement of the Lord in chapter 12 because the next eight verses focus on when dying and aging, when dying and aging, what, what really comes into perspective, what really matters. We see this again where he uses these metaphors of light and dark where he says, before the moon, the stars and the sun become darkened. He's talking about death here. And what he's saying is that now that I am old, now that I'm old and, and, and I've lived my life, I have everything that I could ever want, all that's ever offered to anybody, I got all of it, it's, it's still all vanity. It means nothing. Really, what he's saying is that when it's all said and done, you can gain the whole world and still have nothing. Jesus says in another way, Matthew 16, 26, he says this, he says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? See, see the broader point, without getting into the analogies and the metaphors of what Solomon says in chapter 12, here Solomon is saying that reckoning, listen to me, reckoning with death leads to abandoning a focus on selfish achievement and pleasure, and now in turn, seeking the Lord. It's no, more, no longer about you, but it's about Him. See, that, that's what happened. He's, what he's saying is happening towards the end of his life. And hear me, if we take anything from Solomon, here's the truth. We will all die one day. Every last one of us, me included, we're not, we're not living forever on this earth. We're going to die. And here's the thing. None of us will ever probably be as wise as Solomon or have as much money as Solomon. And we most surely won't have as many women as, as Solomon. And with all he has, this is what we learn. He says, it's all vanity. It's not about the next fix. It's not about the next thing. All of it's vanity. It's not going to give you what you think you're going to get. It's all vanity. He ends and he says in verse 7, I, I love this. He says, dust of our bodies or our bodies return to the earth and, and our souls return to God. So the question we're left with is at the end of the day, at the end of this life, with all that we have, will we be, satis be satisfied with how we lived our lives? Will we be satisfied? Which is a question that plagues all of us, especially the Christian, 
because we live in America where the striving point or where we need to get to is the American dream, which is how Solomon lived. It basically tells you to be like Solomon, be all you can be, gain all you can get, make all the money you can get. And Solomon's like, no, I did all of that and it's all vanity. But instead, remember the Lord. That's what Solomon says. Friends, hear me. When we live as one who understands that we should be dead, but instead Christ died for us, and through his death, if you believe, you can experience life with all of its fullness, all of its freedoms, meaning free from uh, shame, free from guilt, free from performance, trying to prove your worth. It's freedom from all of that. See, when we truly understand that Christ gave it all up for us, it allows us to live as Solomon urges us to right here in this text. Not in a way that we're shackled by everything we do and cannot do anything, but in a way where we truly live life to the full. Because hear me, hear me. At the end of the day, you know why someone who could have everything, who achieved the world, at the end of the day, you know why he could say it's all vanity? You know why people can get there, they get everything. We all know people that have achieved, achieved everything. Tom Brady's one, and say, but there's still more. You know why they can get there? Because here's the thing, anything done without, with, with some other attached motivation to it other than giving God glory because he's been good is futile. It's like being on a, on a hamster wheel, continually doing the same thing over and over again, trying to get a different result. You'll keep getting a different result, but at the end of the day, you're going to keep wanting more and more because it never will truly satisfy the deep longing that's in your heart that only can be satisfied by Jesus. Some of y'all don't believe me. Y'all don't believe Solomon either. And so the apostle Paul, he writes it another way. He says it this way in Philippians 3.8. Look at it with me. He says, that it's, Paul, being another man of high status, a lot of knowledge, he, he, he says it this way. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Family, you know why two men of this stature can say something of this magnitude, Paul and Solomon. You know why they could say this? Because when you truly understand, and I mean truly understand that if it had not been for God, you would not be here. If it had not been for God, you would be divorced, no marriage. If it had not been for God, you would not have any kids. If it had not been for God, you would be in jail, you'd be locked up, you'd be on drugs. If it had not been for God, when you truly understand that when without God and Jesus' sacrifice, we would have nothing, your motivation turns from living your life to satisfy yourself to now satisfying God with your life. And here's the truth, and I said in the beginning that there's this God-shaped hole, there's a void in all of us, it's in our souls, or as Solomon says, he says, remember the Lord, remember your creator, he's experiencing that hole. He's saying, he's basically saying the same thing, hear me, the reality is that when we live life in accordance with the Word of God and how God tells us to live, it doesn't necessarily restrict us, but it truly fulfills us. It truly satisfies us. He does. 
Now you can win a Super Bowl and be content. Now you can make money and not have it rule over you. Now you can be the husband of one wife and, and the wife of one husband and not be searching around for something else because you're truly satisfied with the Lord. You can literally live and enjoy the way God created you or intended you to live because you're truly satisfied with Him. Okay, some of y'all didn't get that. When God put Adam and Eve into the garden, He put Adam and Eve in the garden and they were naked. I know some of y'all say naked. I say naked because I'm from Gary. They were naked in the garden. They were naked and unashamed sitting in the garden. And it was not because God couldn't make clothes for them. It wasn't that. It, it wasn't because he didn't want them to have clothes. No, no, no. Them being naked symbolized the fact that they were, it had utter freedom and there was peace. All they thought about was God. They were protected and provided for when they were rolling with God. They didn't need anything else. Animals roaming around, bears, lions, tigers all around them. They ain't scared. They got, they got God with them. But as soon as they turn away from God and they sin, what do they do? They start covering themselves up with fig leaves because they realize their nakedness. They start noticing their own nakedness. In other words, they start noticing their inadequacies their problems, and instead of running to God, they hide themselves in fig leaves. Now hear me, these fig leaves are metaphorical for trying to figure out how to provide for themselves outside of God. Now don't miss this, they went from being naked and unashamed with God to ashamed and covering themselves with fig leaves, separated from God. And friends, hear me. That's sadly many of us in this room hiding ourselves in fig leaves, trying to figure out how to make it in this life on our own, separate from God, and there's no peace and there's no freedom in your life right now. But hear me, family, when we truly live with the understanding that I am nothing apart from Christ. I need him in my life. All I have, as Paul says, is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. When we live with that understanding, there's freedom. There's freedom to live and to cherish life the way it was meant to be, naked and unashamed. The Lord wants you to truly experience life to the full but that's found nowhere else than belief in Jesus. That life is found in Him. All else is vanity. It's vanity. Amen. Let's pray.